Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. All right, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I used to snicker at dads like that, but... Sadly, I have become a dad like that, so um, that's, that's a funny one. My name is Lee. I am the pastor of New City Church in San Bruno. My wife, sadly, couldn't be here. She's working right now in Kaiser South City, but my two kids are here. It's a good thing that they're in the children's room because uh, they can't sit still and they'd be freaking out and eating all your cheese. <laughs> but uh, we love, I count it as a privilege to be here to share God's word. Uh, Pastor Caesar and I have known each other for a few years now, and as you know, he's a great guy. You're blessed to have him. And I just want to affirm what God is doing in your church. I've been here about a year ago, and I've heard about a lot of some of the behind-the-scenes things that are going. So I know life is not easy, but keep pursuing God in faith. He is doing a great work in Grace, Grace Point. I'm so encouraged. It's good to be here. Uh, let's start off in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being called your children and this time that we have to encounter you through the study of your precious word. So Father, we ask for your own glory that you would reveal yourself to us in a fresh new way. We ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and show us a new vision of yourself, a fresh new vision of the love of Christ and of your great power. Lord, we we sung about so many wonderful things. Uh, what Christ earned for us on the altar, your great and overwhelming love. So we pray that those things would be real to us now in a new way as we encounter you through the study of your word. Thank you for each person who's here. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. This sermon is about prayer. Is that all right? Can we talk about that? All right. Cool. Sure. Thanks. Are there any sad Warriors fans in here? Yes, Ken. All right. So my condolences. I'm a huge sports fan and love the Warriors, of course. And this past week, I was listening to Sports Talk Radio. I forget which show it was. But they had a special guest on. And this guest was talking about the Warriors and about, you know, Kevin Durant, who's the top player on the team. He ruptured his Achilles tendon, very significant injury. So this special guest was talking and started talking about all of a sudden drifting the conversation towards church. And started saying, well, I attend a church, and at my church we like to pray. And I kind of puckered up my ears. I was like, oh, okay, somebody's you know, going to bring a Christian perspective to this, to this sports talk show. And he started to say afterwards to the, to the, co-host, to the show host, the Bible says that when two or more are gathered, you know, the Lord is present. So I want everybody out there in radio land to pray together for Kevin Durant and for the Warriors. And I was like driving around. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This was about uh, earlier this week before the, the Warriors uh, were eliminated in game six. And I was like, yeah, let's not only pray for the Warriors, let's pray for a miraculous healing of Kevin Durant, that he'd come and score 50, and the Warriors would win by 100. And while you're at a smite, Toronto Raptors with a, you know, this mighty smite hand. So I was, I, was driving, well, I was thinking that when I was driving, and I guess the Spirit of God spoke to me because I stopped and I was like, wait a minute, hold on here. What am I praying for? What am I thinking about? What, what is this direction that I'm going in? And 
I started thinking, you know, it was great that prayer is in the public consciousness, you know, that people can talk about on a sports talk show. But I started to think more often. I was like, wait a minute. What is our motivation? I mean, I'm part of the church, as you all are. And I was kind of going off in this direction of, like, elevating something that maybe shouldn't have been elevating. Of all the things I could be praying for at the time, I was like, praying for this. And I started to think, how often... Does my motivation for praying, does our motivation for praying line up with God's motivation? I mean, seriously, when we often pray, what are sort of the things we usually pray for? Think about it. Like, think about your prayer request of this last week. It may have been someone's health, for someone else's health, which is great. Uh, but when I think of myself, so often I think of, well, I've been praying for, um, you know, that my circumstances would change. Or maybe you prayed that your circumstances would change. For you, for the good of you. Maybe you've prayed like I have that we get good results on a test for me or you, know, you for you. Uh, God would change someone's attitude for you that your life would be better. Maybe peace of mind for you, you know, peace of mind for me. And as a pastor, I often see in myself too, so, such a common theme in our prayers. Um, me, self-focus, making life better for me, which in and of itself, may not be that bad. But when we think about it, if our prayers are continually focused on this one thing, you know, self-focused, me-focused, it could be the symptom of something pretty dire, spiritually, uh, something really bad. That's selfishness, you know, this self-obsession, which can actually dis- distance us from God. And that's a really bad thing. The surefire symptom of that is maybe you, like me, you get all bent out of shape and upset at God when you pray for something and God doesn't answer right away or he doesn't answer in the way you expected him. That happens to me all the time. And, you know, you get upset at God. It's, it's as if like, okay, God can't hear me or it is as if God is impotent or God just doesn't get it. Or, you know, it's like, God, what is going on? Um, and all of those things are false. Um, and so I was studying this passage today, and, and I, 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 we're studying this in my church as well. And I realized, you know, there's actually a prayer that God always answers right on. And yes, and it begs the question, do we know how to pray and what to pray for? Because to God, there's something infinitely better, for reals, than our own health and peace and prosperity. Seriously. We have a pattern for prayer that is always answered. And today's text is going to show us that. I'm really excited to look at this. So uh, open your Bibles, and the passage will also be up on the screen, to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 14 through 21. And a real background quick, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, about 2,000 years ago. He was writing to God's people, you know, to us. And this is what he said in verses 14 through 21. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints 
What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The word of God. Now, as I was thinking about this and praying over it, just something really struck me. And I think it's really the big idea of this passage. It's that you and I, we are God's children by faith. You have a heavenly father. We are God's children by faith. So above all things, pray that our heavenly father would transform our hearts through a spiritual knowledge of the love of Christ. He starts off in verse 14, 14, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. And he continues over in verse 16 saying, so that this thing may happen. I bow my knees before the Father so that this thing would happen. So that according to um, the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. So God, through Paul, is teaching us a form of, and a content of uh, our priorities and prayers for ourselves and for others. This is so important. Um, I so often pray by my feelings. If I'm nervous, I'm driven to pray to God to give me peace. Um, if I'm anxious, you know, the same, same sort of thing. And I realize that our feelings can't be trusted. You know, our bodies are unredeemed yet. So we can't totally pray based on our feelings or circumstances for that matter. For that matter. I know... A lot of the songs we sing about sing about the grace and love of God to give us comfort in our suffering. And that, that is true. So often we want God to remove our suffering. But could it be that God uses pain and suffering for good? And so, you know, we've got to factor all that into our prayers. And, uh, you know, Paul is kind of giving us a larger insight into what he wants us to pray about. So he says in verse 14, he says, I bow my knees. Bow my knees. What does that mean? Um, he's not talking about lunges or anything. He's saying that <laughs> prayer, authentic prayer, I mean, the kind of prayers that God wants us to pray, that he is sitting up there in heaven right now listening to, listening to us going, yes, that's what I'm talking about. I love this prayer. This is the prayer. I told them to pray. They're doing it. I want to answer it. It's Authentic prayer begins with worship. Authentic prayer begins with worship. And the essence of worship is doing this sort of thing in our heart. You know, it's bowing the knee of our heart, whether you're really bowed or not, to the Lord. Bowing the knee of my heart to the Lord. In love and respect, it's a personal encounter with God where you're sitting before the King of Kings. You have an audience with Him. You know, the Lord... Jesus paid the price for us to be able to do that. Before we take out our Uzi submachine gun of prayer requests and lock and load and I need this, before we do all that, we start off with worship and prayer, bowing the knee of our hearts. It's intentional. Paul says, I bow. It doesn't happen unless we do it. This thing of coming before God in worship. It's a sacrifice of praise. Um, it's based in God's word. Worshiping God is based in his word. He's 
revealed himself here. And when we worship him, for instance, in this passage, it very simply says, he is our father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. You know, that's, that's something that God wants us to reflect on in worship. Say, you're my heavenly father. You have the ability to name me and to determine my destiny and that of everyone else. You're that awesome and mighty. You know, that sort of thing. Worship. And it's humbling. I mean, you come before God and you worship before him. And uh, you say, wow, God, I'm really before you. And uh, you're so awesome. And, uh, you know, I'm really just a broken person. Thank you that, for the privilege to come before you. And maybe I, I may have to confess some sin before I do that. The disciples asked Jesus one time, they said, Yo, Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus said, Guess what? Here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Even the Lord himself started off prayer with worship. I know so often, I, like I said, I just want to, and so many of us want to get up and aim our prayer needs at God that are so often revolved around our peace and comfort and prosperity. Again, nothing wrong in and of itself, but our priorities are all out of whack. And God sees prayer differently. Do we see prayer the way God sees prayer? Do we give God the kind of worship he desires? Um, A few years ago, I'm thinking back, it was my wife's birthday. And we had been married for about 10 years. We've been married about 14 years now, so four years ago. And so this was, we've been married for 10 years and it was her birthday. So I said, all right, I'm going to give her a special gift, really special gift. And I thought about it and I perused online, put all my heart and soul into it. I wanted this heart touching, impressive, you know, just life changing gift. So I found it. I ordered it. Boop. I got it, wrapped it up, ready to go. So I'm ready to just unload it on her. You know, and her life is going to be changed forever after that. And I said, here you go. So she, she put it down. Oh, thank you. And she opened it up and she ripped it. And my eyes just got as big as sausage. I couldn't wait to see her reaction. And uh, to my bewilderment, there came no shouts of joy, no praise of adoration of how awesome I was as a husband to pick this <laughs> gift. Um, no happy tears. Just this kind of quiet, puzzled look on her face. And she looked down on it, and I, I said, well, what's going on? And this continued for a few moments. So I, I felt like I had to intercede and kind of explain the gravity of this gift. So I said, <clears throat> why, dear, it's a, it's a bread machine. It's a major appliance. Don't you like this? You know? And she looked at it, just, just like this same puzzled look continued on her face. And my kind of, all my countenance kind of dropped. And, and I realized the gravity of what was going on. And like kind of time stopped, you know, like bullet time just goes. And I had this inner voice. And I was like, great, Scott, this isn't what you wanted. This is what I wanted. I tried to convince her this is what she would wanted, but it's not what she wanted. It's what I wanted. And, you know, um, she had this look on her face where she was like, you know, you could have just given me a broom and a dustpan. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you... Better yet, why didn't you order me a barbecue pit unassembled so I can assemble it for you, husband? You know, and I was like, and I thought, to, and, I, and, I, and, and yes, it's true, in my self-obsessed mania, I mean, really, have you guys ever had fresh bread with butter? Not like the best thing in the world. 
I thought to myself, she's going to make it for me. This is going to work out great. I actually gave her what I wanted, not what she wanted. There was a twisted motivation behind my gift, behind what seemed to be an act of love and devotion. And, And don't we approach God like that? Don't we do that with him? The same way with prayers and worship. We often give him what we want, not what he wants, and what he wants to hear. And here, authentic prayer begins with worship. So in love, praying to the eternal father, our king, he adopted us into his family through faith in Christ. Um, you know, Paul says in verse 15, uh, every, earth, every family on heaven and earth is named. You know, he has the authority to name us to fashion our identity. He ordained, he's sovereign. He ordains all things in your life, even the struggles for good, everything for good, for his glory. You know, he has good purposes far beyond our understanding. And he's mighty and fearsome, but he's our loving father. We can run to his arms. And it begins with worship. Worship is a sacrifice of praise. It's not necessarily music. So, You know, we need to cultivate this personal environment of scripture-based, worship-based prayer. You know, humbly coming before the Lord. How can you begin to do that? Now, what what kind of sacrifice do we need to make to begin our prayer life in scripture-based worship? And and what kind of sacrifices do we need to make to to be in this beautiful word so that we can encounter God through this? Is there a Bible study that we need to join? Do we need to you know, do life with other Christians centered around God's word and prayer? Do it. It's worth it. It's worth the experience of encountering God. We are God's child, children by faith in Christ. So above all things, pray that our Heavenly Father would transform our hearts through a spiritual knowledge of Christ's love for us. Okay? And you know, Paul says in verse 16, this is all... Uh, that according to the riches of his glory. So this whole thing is that God would be glorified in us, you know, and in, and in the church and in the world. That's the whole purpose why we pray these kind of prayers. And really getting to the meat of what this is about, the most critical request of authentic prayer, the most critical thing we can pray for is knowing Christ's love. Knowing this, just the great love that this Savior has for us. Every facet of it. Paul says in verse 16 that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner person. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, God wants to give you this thing that's so important that only he can reveal it. Only his spirit can speak to your hearts. It's this precious request. Yes, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all of us together. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That we would know the infinite love of Jesus Christ for us. 
This is the most surpassing thing we can pray for. Above all things. Not that other things are not important. But this is like infinitely higher than anything else. Because when we know the love of Christ, God is glorified in us, in our families, in our church, and in the world. Nothing is more important. Everything else is secondary. Length, width, height, and depth. For these, God must have flunked geometry. Because I only thought there were three dimensions. But he's talking about all the facets, all the nuances, you know, all the wonderful things of the love of Christ. It's like looking at a painting. I think those are paintings over there. I can't see that well. But, you know, from afar, you kind of, uh, when you look at a painting, you can kind of see uh, an image that an artist is trying to portray. And it's beautiful. And when you get up closer, you can notice, you know, brush strokes and color mixing and shadowing and, and things like that. And it's like that. It's having a deeper understanding of the love of the Lord that only God can show you. That's what we're praying for. We need strength. We need God's power. Verse 18, that we have the strength to comprehend it. You need God's power to know this. Nothing is more important to pray for. Everything else is secondary. Do you believe that? It's hard for me to believe it, but this is what God's word says. Father's Day is tomorrow. We are God's children. He is ultimately our Heavenly Father because of Christ's finished work on the cross, because of what Christ did for us. And yes, He took away our sins. He took away the penalty that was due us for our sins. Eternally separated those from us by His work on the cross. So when we think about the love of Christ, the number one thing that comes up for us to think about is the self-sacrificial, unconditional love of Christ. There's an author, his name is Ernest Gordon, and he wrote a book, and he tells about his experience as a Japanese prisoner of war during uh, World War II in the 40s. And history reveals how such prisoners were treated very harshly. There was brutality, inhumanity, malnutrition. And he and his group of prisoners were working on the Burma Railway. Horrific conditions. Uh, you know, just no hope. But he and a few of his, uh, a few other followers of the Lord started a Bible study in this group. They somehow managed time to pray for one another, study God's word, encourage one another, uh, through which God began to change lives. Uh, theirs and other prisoners. Those who had stolen and cheated, uh, repented. And this group started to encourage one another and love one another. And encouragement broke out. And in this death camp, there was hope because of God's power. But one day they were out on the railway, they were working, and one of the guards had noticed that one of the shovels they were using went missing. You know, they do a, a count of all the shovels. And this guard went into a rage, started shouting, insisting that the person who stole it, you know, fess up so they can get their due punishment. And nobody said anything. So he demanded that the guilty person say anything, you know, fess up. So he could, all right, nobody's fessing up. Everybody line up shoulder to shoulder. All the prisoners lined up shoulder to shoulder. And he went up and down, just berating them, cursing them for their wickedness. Nobody said anything. So he said, all right, that's it. Everyone's going to die. Everyone dies. And this 
uh, guard went and got his rifle and loaded it and went up to first person in line and aimed it to show how serious he was. And it's at that point that one of the prisoners took a step forward and straightened himself up and said, I did it. And the soldier looked at him and just flew off in a rage and started hitting him and beating him until his lifeless body was left on the ground. And afterwards, the other prisoners picked his body up and all the tools and they went back to camp. And when they did a count of the tools when they get back to camp, they found that no shovel had ever gone missing. Just the guard miscounted when they were out in the field. And this one man, he sacrificed his life so that his friends would live. And he loved his friend, obviously. And when we think about just an example of that, it points us to the love that this great Savior of ours has for us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He gave his life for us on the cross. And by his finished work on the cross, he removed our sin, our guilt, our shame. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For your sake God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that you could be righteous. When we were born, we were, all of us, myself included, we were born wretched sinners, selfish people, always thinking of ourselves first. That is so hurtful when we encounter selfish people. Guess what? We're all selfish people. We're going to face eternal judgment for our sins. We need a Savior. And God sent one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the work he did on the cross obliterated and eliminated the sins that we have, the sins that separated us from God, the sins that lead us to death, and the sins that lead us to eternal separation from God, Jesus wiped all those out. And when we surrender ourselves to Christ, and and, and maybe some of you need to do that today for the first time, I encourage you to surrender your life to Christ. It's beyond just an intellectual knowledge of the love of Christ. It's beyond a cognitive philosophy that there was a Savior who died for my sins and who made it possible for me to go to heaven. That sounds really cool. And it is. It's the, it's the best news. It's the good news. We're talking about encountering this great Savior in your heart through prayer and giving your life to Him and saying, Lord, there is nothing more that I need than You and to know Your love. And I know... We typically pray for peace and, pre- and health and prosperity. And, and I hope you pray, because prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. And if I'm going to pray for somebody, I look, for my, I look at, the, like I said, I look at the past week's prayer request I had. It's like, Lord, uh, and I lead out in this. The first thing I pray for, I go, Lord, this person needs to sober up. This person needs to change their life. This person needs good grades. This person needs to, you know, a good success on their interview. Again, nothing wrong with those in and of themselves. But let us stop praying primarily for things that God considers infinitely secondary. We need Jesus, an experiential knowledge of his love. He will take care of all those details. Sickness, depression, broken relationships. He's the Savior. 
without the Lord, comfort and success is eternally worthless. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? We need Jesus more than we need a comfortable life. And so often we pray that God would take away the very things he's using to drive us to the feet of this wonderful Savior and to encounter his love and his grace, to endure. Don't give up in praying this prayer for yourself and for others. Give God time to change hearts. Be patient. You know, our our perfection, becoming more like Christ, as the word says, it takes time. It's a lifetime. It's a lifelong prayer. But maybe this is the kind of prayer we can, you know, give to God and say, you know, Lord, I am, Lord, I'm hurting so bad. I'm hurting because of life. I'm hurting because of the way that person is treating me. I'm hurting because I've been betrayed. But in my hurt, I declare that you are my Savior. And I love you so much because of what you've done for me and because of your great love for me. Wow, Lord. And if I never get the peace and comfort that I want, it's okay. Because everything I need, I have in you. And I have in your love, Lord. And I am at peace. I am well. I am all good until I die. This suffering may never go away, but it's all good. I will live for you 24-7. It is well with my soul. And Lord, change my heart. You know, change that person's heart so we can know your love deeper so that you are glorified. This above all things I pray. You know, amen, that sort of thing. It's about being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. When you're rooted in Christ, his love gives us hope. Romans 5.3 says this, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, as we close, do you need hope today? I do. Do you need endurance? Now, what's causing you despair? In all these things, you can find peace and hope in the love of Christ, the great love of the Savior. Because you have his love, because he loves you, and he proved it already on the cross, he will never leave you you always have hope. If you, maybe right now you're burdened down with shame because of what you did, because of a failure, a broken relationship. Guess what? Whether it is your fault or not, or it's a shared fault, Jesus died on the cross for those sins. Don't believe the lie that you were unworthy of his love. You are not a failure. You are not a sinner. You're not a loser. I mean, we're all sinners. What I mean is loser Despite what others say, he already proved his love for you on the cross. In your struggles, never stop loving Christ. If you fall back in sin, repent and stop and, 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 and get back up and move forward in Christ. I mean, sometimes the Lord seems distant because of our sin. I mean, confess your sin. Turn from them. 
Get the help of another brother and sister to pray for you and encourage you and move forward. Lead a holy life. Start taking your faith seriously. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And this word is where the spirit of God speaks to your heart and says, yeah, you are deeply loved. You can endure. You are more than conqueror. God is with you. Christ is with you in this. Your suffering doesn't mean the Lord has abandoned you. Your suffering means the Lord is with you because he lives, he loves you. And his love is relentless. And, you know, all the things that we talked about, mind-boggling and astronomical and all these adjectives we put, is really true. And your season of suffering will end in God's timing, not ours, maybe not fully until death. That's why we need to pray that you and others would be strengthened by the love of this Christ, this relentless love. Because Christ's love ultimately frees us even from sin and death. And one day we'll be with him to love him face to face in eternity. How attractive is a life of fullness, of power from God, of victory, of hope and joy? It sounds pretty attractive to me. I need that kind of life. I want to get closer to that kind of life. But it starts right here in prayer. Praying that God would fill us with the love of Christ. So you are God's child by faith in Christ. So above all things, pray that your heavenly Father would transform your hearts through a spiritual knowledge of the love of Christ. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.